Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Conversation for Our Generation. My name is Nick Jamel, and I'm the creator of the Conversation for Our Generation, where we are solving the problems of today with the wisdom of the past. And this episode, I was interviewed, actually, not interviewing, but really being interviewed by the Winner Gets Nothing podcast. And you can find them on Twitter at WGN Podcast. And I really had a fun conversation with the guys. We talked about a lot of different stuff. Just a wide range of topics from politics to religion to, you know, really why I started the conversation for our generation and some of the problems in our culture today. And just the, the conversation really ran the gamut. And I think it was a lot of fun. Definitely a really interesting conversation. I think you should check out their podcast if you haven't already. But I wanted to play this just so you can kind of hear more of how I think about things when, you know, with the back and forth, it was much less an interview and really more of a good dialogue, kind of like I had a couple of weeks ago with the Vital Masculinity guys. And so because of that, I wanted to drop that in here, just show you how to have conversations, how I try to have conversations, and how I think that we can really have a dialectic that's much more productive and gets at truth and really focuses in on what's important. And so with that, Let's hop on over to the interview. Hey, uh, welcome. We got our guest Nick on from the uh, Con- Conversations of Our Generation podcast. Right? Did I get that right? Conversation of Our Generation. Yeah. Conversation of Our Generation podcast. And uh, this is the WGN Trash Talks second episode. And uh, we're glad to have him. Hey, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Welcome. Thanks for having us on. This is a swapcast. <laughs> exactly. Perfect. Yep. Dual purpose. <laughs> Exactly. So uh, what have you been up to? How you been uh, dealing with all the COVID and such, you know, or just the data? (laughs) Yeah. Well, I mean, my work that I do outside of the podcast and everything is gone fully remote. We gave up our office space. So I've been, you know, here in Indianapolis, we haven't been too bad on lockdown stuff, but still our mayor is trying to do everything he can to like make it on as unpleasant as possible. (laughs) It seems like so. Definitely lots of walks and stuff like that, but mostly it's given me time to really focus in and double down on reaching out to more people, getting more interviews like this set up. And so I just figured, you know, reading more, just trying to use the time at home a little more productively, I guess. How about you? What have you been? I'm not sure. actually. Where are you based? We're in Massachusetts. So we got locked down pretty hard, but uh, they, um, I I actually, I had lost my job over this. They had me uh, laid off for a while or, Sorry, furloughed for a while, and then finally I got laid off just recently. Um, you, you've been the whole time, I think. Uh, yeah, I've been going this whole time. Yeah, just working in a restaurant. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you probably did. You have like what, like two weeks? I had one week. We closed for renovations, and then um, there was like two weeks we actually had to close. But I was just working the whole time, and then we're we're one of the only other places that opened up when we could. Yeah, and. Uh, I've just been doing the same thing as you just staying productive, trying to put as much work into this as possible, you know? Yeah. yeah. things like when you're at home, there's not much else you can do besides try to find ways to keep yourself busy. I, I did all the lawn work that I could do. And then I was like, well, maybe I should figure out how to promote the show a little better. <laughs> yeah. No, that, that's definitely what I've been doing. I just, uh, hang on. <laughs> well, I hang out on Twitter all day and pr- pretend it's, uh, networking or something. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> 
Well, you know, it's been going good. Other than that, I mean, you know, we're working on, um, we're building a studio that's been taking up a lot of the time. I mean, we got a bunch of new equipment. We didn't even have Collins. That's why there's only the second episode. We finally figured it out. Um, well, we just had to buy some new stuff and now it's a lot easier and, uh, putting everything into, um, we got a little space that we're, uh, that we're going to be renting out and, um, yeah, just setting everything up real nice over there, building a table right now specifically for it. Nice. That's awesome. It's going to be fun. I know. I want to get like the background set up a little bit better, like shelves that you can see that have books. So it looks really official. And like, I read a lot more than I do, you know, Yeah. Get- yeah that's always the goal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We were going to, uh, we got, we got a bookshelf already like built into one of the walls and he's got, it's all going to be D and D books though. He loves Dungeons and Dragons. And all that. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be a game room slash studio. Yeah. Oh, the TV, the table's sick. It's got a TV built into it so they can, um, for any game they're playing, they just go on the computer and send over an image so you don't need to swap out the boards and stuff. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah. That's interesting. Next gen. That's awesome. Yeah. I wouldn't even, I wouldn't even thought of that. That's awesome. Yeah. Oh, yeah. People See, think of cool shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He, uh, yeah. You found it online, right? Oh yeah. It was literally like a dude on YouTube. He's like, you can build this for like 150 bucks. I mean, yeah, yeah. that's not what <laughs> I think I threw 150 at it. How much did you spend? Well, we oh, also no. just had to buy a TV. He just, he just had a TV. Uh, well, all right. Yeah. The, the I was going to say, I'm like, man, yeah, you gotta have the TV probably to keep it to that cost. Yeah. But also like anything home improvement, like wood was wicked expensive. Just everything is because everyone's at home just doing projects and shit. Yeah. My parents' neighbors redoing his back porch and it's like he's like, Yeah, I had to go buy the, you know, materials at four different lows because the you know, they're out of they have this much of whatever he needs at that yeah. time. Yeah, it's limited as hell. Like all the wood is it's like bowed and stuff. It's like everything that was left behind. It's it's like it's it needed needed to be sanded is like an understatement. It's it's some rough looking stuff. We're doing our best with it though. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, That's we're awesome. working boys. <laughs> Kinda. <laughs> uh, um, so you've been uh, I, I saw on your um on your website you got uh, like what 150 episodes now? Something like that? Yeah, uh yeah, pushing 160 now almost. I ever since so before I've been doing this for a couple of years mm-hmm. and kind of just once a week and then after COVID hit, I was like, Well, I've been thinking about doing book reviews. I've like I've read enough books over the last couple of years while kind of on this journey. And so I was like, well, I could start doing like a weekly book review. And so I've just been doing that as well. I figured I'm going to be reading more people out there might be wanting to read a little more. So I figured let people know what I think of some of the books I've read and what I've learned from them a little bit and let people dive in for themselves. So yeah. ever since like March has been two episodes a week, which has kind of really made that go a lot faster. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, we, uh, I mean, with this now we're getting to the point where it's three a week, but that's, I mean, I'm, I'm unemployed right now. So I got the time to, I got beyond time to do it. Like forget about work from home. I'm uh, just getting a check from home. So there's, there's nothing to do, but like preoccupy myself with things to make this better. <laughs> yeah. Well, heck, at least you're a job. At least you're occupying yourself with something that's productive and building something in the process. It seems like it's. Yeah. I'm hoping. <laughs> there's every incentive to you know not have to do that especially right now with the way that they've kind of rolled out the uh you know 
whatever the unemployment and everything yeah all the incentives there to just do whatever you can to stay on it the way they set up this like I'm, ma- I'm making more than i was not much more but more well i was for a while now it's at what it probably well I mean, they took my job. It's like, it's like at the same time, like, I'm like, well, what am I supposed to do now? Like, I disagree with all of this. I don't like, I understand I'm stealing from my grandkids, but yeah. what do I do? Yeah. Well, especially when you're not, you know, trying to, it's not like you're trying to be a bum about it or you're trying or like you did anything to lose your job or your company even did anything to lose your job for you. Like the government said you can't operate in some way, shape or form. And so at that point, it's, it almost feels like it's on them to pick up yeah, the bill. Yeah, the unemployment is what, this is what it's for. It's for the people like you who didn't have a choice. I, I mean, I guess, I, I, I don't know. This, I'm conflicted on it. I, I don't know. Like, I feel like there's certain precautions we could have taken at my work to avoid it being out. I mean, there's a lot of older people and then you got to pick and choose. I don't know. I, I feel like maybe if they gave everybody a little less money, but also made it, you know, an option if you feel you need to get out of your workplace, maybe something. I'm not, I don't know. I can't figure it all out, but it was crazy. You know, and I get that. And I, one thing that I've listened to a lot of, you know, libertarian people kind of answering those mailbag questions, it's like, we all pay into the system. Even if, you know, you don't agree with it, you do pay into this so that it is there in some way, shape or form. So if, especially when the government is the cause of it, it's like, you know, it is there and you have put into it in the past. And so it feels hard. I feel I, I, yeah. I can sympathize with that being tough to kind of swallow in a way, but yeah. Well, sort of, it's like, it's like how you, how you're explaining it. I, I more so feel deep down. I'm like, they've been stealing it from me. I'm just getting some back. Like, I don't, I don't know. And that's and, how I thought about the, you know, the stimulus check. I'm like, Oh, great. An extra tax return because I haven't gotten one, some of my money back the last two years. Cause I've actually owed <laughs> for doing contract work that I wasn't, you know, and so then you, when you write that check, like three or four Aprils in a row, you're like, this really sucks. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, I know. I, I, I can only imagine if this ever takes off, that's going to be us. <laughs> if it, I do like getting something back. That's, that's, I guess, one thing nice about wage labor. You know, at least at the end of the year, it's like, well, this helps with the holidays. But, you know, maybe I could figure it out myself and just save. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But, you know. Um, so, um, libertarian, you're saying? Yeah, I mean, I kind of come from more of a conservative background and lean, you know, my dad, staunch Republican mom too, but kind of have that small L libertarian mindset where, you know, Tea Party type people, strict constitutionalists, but I'd say I'm a little more libertarian, lean towards the, uh, as far as like philosophically, kind of the anarchist side of things. And as far as like fragment, like just being pragmatic about it, uh, I'm willing to wheel and deal with anyone who's looking to expand liberty because any movement towards that is something that I think we need right now because I just think right now it's just, we just have kind of an anti-state and the only way to uh, move in the direction that I want is to take baby steps because that's how we've gotten to the point where every little thing needs a license, every little thing needs some sort of intervention from the state and i think you just have to unwind those one at a time so yeah i know it's like not every problem needs to be solved by government exactly it it seems like you know government uses more government as the answer to everything so 
And I, yep. I don't think it's uh, has a hundred percent track record of fixing everything. I'm I'm trying to convince this guy though. He's not he's not fully on board with the Liberty Movement. What? What? Yeah. Well, I don't know. Are I you? hate the government. Well, yeah, he, I hate he, he our hates the government. government. I don't hate the overall idea of government in all of its forms. <laughs> like you're like we we're talking about like yeah, I want firefighters. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. And it's like yeah, you. Well, all I'm saying you lean a little more. I don't know. All right. <laughs> Stop trying to pull I'm, me on your map. I'm trying to. I'm trying to figure you out. He's trying to put me in a box, man. I don't like it. <laughs> yeah, claustrophobic. Yeah, I can yeah. be okay with government that doesn't steal from me. Like, especially not thirty percent of my money before I see it, kind of thing. If it's a government that, and there's a lot of examples of our government where, you know, we they do provide services that you need, like firefighters, like some sort of. We wouldn't need police in some way. We wouldn't need roads. I just think that you can accomplish a lot of those things without taking people's money by force. I mean, oh yeah, game, yeah. Like hunting licenses and things like that are a time where you're not really, you know. I think that that's where licensing makes sense. You kind of pay to take part in hunting in the commons where everyone can hunt. You just put in money so that that can be kept up in a way so that it can be there for the next generation. That makes a lot of sense to me. If it wasn't government running it, it would probably be run very similarly. But so many of our other systems have just been corrupted and made inefficient because of the way government operates. Yeah, that's that's pretty spot on to how I see it. So, <laughs> yeah. But, but yeah, and especially right now, it just I think that there's a lot of people seeing, like my wife is uh, pretty, you know, laid back, very apolitical. And in the last six months, she's been a lot more, you know, like, do you see what the government's doing here? This is BS. And then she just, she's been a waitress forever. She's worked in restaurants for like the last four years. And she just finished nursing school and moved into the hospital to work. And, uh, and she was like, oh, like we're calculating, like, okay, what do you, we expect you to get paid like per check, you know, cause it's still hourly. So we do the math and I'm like, yeah. And we get a number and I'm like, well, you got to subtract like 30% to see what you're going to like get on your paycheck. And she's like, 30% that much. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> you don't have the, you know, you're not making half your money off tips that may or may not, you know, government may or may not know about. Um, they never do. They don't know about one cent of the tip money. <laughs> I've dated a, wait- I dated a couple of waitresses actually. And yeah, they, um, they really like that tip money. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. I loved it too. I'm like, yep. We'll just pay cash for that. Yep. No problem. It's great. Yeah. No, it makes things a little easier. (laughs) Oh man. So, uh, you, uh, another thing we had on the list to talk about, um, being religious, uh, this, this thing going on around the country with them picking and choosing certain things that get to exist during this pandemic and church seems very low on the list. Yeah, I mean, especially after you see like places like New York where de Blasio a few months ago was saying that I'm specifically, you know, talking to Jewish Orthodox community, Andrew Cuomo just did it again. Mm-hmm. I'm like, it's very disheartening. I, I there was, I mean, we missed Easter. I finally in Indiana, in Indianapolis, we got to go back to church on Pentecost. So that would have been like, I don't actually know, 50 days after Easter. So it was like May or June, somewhere in there. Uh, I guess it was May. And it's like, it it was just, you know, going two some odd months without it and missing kind of your 
basically Easter is your big holiday as far as that goes for church. It's like, it is a little weird to be going to the liquor store to be able to buy booze on Easter Sunday and you can't go to church and you kind of think, hmm, maybe there's a little bit of selectiveness here. And also I, you know, I shop at a Meyer. It's a big ass grocery store that has, you know, there was no one at our grocery store counting how many people were in there. There was times where there was hundreds of people in there where like you're in, you know, the bread, like some of those aisles that during a pandemic when people are worried about food, right? It's like the bread aisles, the rice and all that stuff. There's people crammed around there, like just shoulder to shoulder. And I bet you if you opened a church that day, people would be six feet apart. I mean, like, you know, even once we could go back, there was still pretty sparse. All the old people who normally sit up front weren't there because, you know, some were, some people did, but it was definitely a lot younger crowd than normal. And now it's finally probably getting up closer to, you know, closer to where you would expect it to be. But the, I mean, luckily I go to a church, like a parish that has a very big, very big church. It's an old, like kind of classic style, cathedral style type church. Um, and it's, so there's a lot of space for people to spread out. And so you can actually fit quite a few people, but it's, there's an obvious picking and choosing, I think that's happened. And I think that it's interesting to see people uh, look at something like that, that I would say not even 200 years ago would have been seen as the most essential thing to do. We're in a culture where, I mean, obviously, other than maybe feeding your food and the basic things of sustenance, that is really something that people would argue is incredibly essential. And our culture has, is full of just not necessarily, I wouldn't say like atheist, but it's just very secular, very much a lot of, full of a lot of people who just lack faith. And that's, I guess that's fine. I'm not trying to make anybody believe anything they don't necessarily, but I don't think people in that state of things understand how important it is to someone who does have that, you know? Yeah. Like, yeah. I get yeah. That. Like, uh, like I'm, I'm consider myself agnostic and yourself. Yeah. Something along those lines, but my mother, I come from, um, like my mother is uh, more religious than a lot of our other siblings and stuff. And they come from a Catholic family mm -hmm. and it's really important to her. And just, just from, you know, getting her perspective and stuff, I can see every day how things that she wants in her life are being like trampled on at every corner and no one really seems to care anymore. Yeah. It, it's shifting towards, like you said, that more secular country and, I, I'm not saying that's necessarily a problem, but it becomes a problem when you can't do what you want, you know? Yeah, exactly. And I mean, if it, it's, I would say it's just as bad to bar religious people from going to church as it is to make, you know, a, a religious people or non-religious people go to church. Yeah. There's not, I don't, I think that there's plenty of Catholics and Christians and, you know, Jews kind of actually tell you like, Hey, by the way, when you do convert, it's a lot. So we're not going to make you try to do that. You don't actually have to almost that's kind of, but for Christianity, the idea is that you do go out there and try to evangelize and bring people into the fold. And, but there's still no mandate that we're trying to push, especially here in America. I mean, really anywhere in Western countries, it's, there's, there's kind of one side, I think of our culture that is really trying to push its vision on the other. And I think that it is sort of a secular society. I mean, Hollywood and, the media and even a lot of the not necessarily elected officials, I think are kind of mixed, a mixed bag, but I think the high up government bureaucrats who really are the people who move our government one way or another 
are people who want to push this secular kind of like almost like you had in communist countries where religion is as stamped out or as pushed down and kind of pushed underground as much as possible so that they can make kind of this make the state sort of replace government and or replace religion rather in a way yeah and that's actually one of the reasons why it worries me the most like with religion not being so important to me the the main thing that bothers me is it seems when a country decides to take religion away it's it starts to be for that purpose is they have an incentive in getting rid of that and you hear groups around the country talking about um getting rid of the nuclear family and getting rid of these other things it seems like obvious there's a switch in power going on and i would i just wish the country was leaning more towards letting everybody do what they want but it doesn't seem like that it seems like there's going to be a right answer in this new world and yours might not be that that might be a crossroads for you you know Mm -hmm. it might be generations though i don't know if it'll be that quick but it's moving it it, it does seem to be moving that direction and it has been for a hundred years there's been a trend towards that and and I think that one of the reasons why it is is because politi- political power operates in a way that you have to get people to buy into your idea and be passionate about your idea and create a movement in favor of it. And one thing that religion, especially Christianity and Judaism do, is they say that there are eternal truths that we abide by and even principalities and powers cannot make us betray these. I mean, the earliest Christians were persecuted like crazy and by the Roman government, and and they still today in many countries in the Middle East and around uh, many communist countries as well, they face a lot of persecution. And it's because there is a claim to truth that, there's a claim, first of all, that there is an objective truth and a standard that we have to hold ourselves against. And then it is the claim of what that is. And when people see the claim, I think, and they realize that they can't, gain power as long as people are adhering to that they want to tear that down and i think that politicians go after that so much because it is a bulwark against the state to have the commands of christianity the duties the charity that they ask you to do or they to make command of you the nuclear family these institutions marriage all these institutions that are really a way of preserving the ability to choose freely and do that in a way that is lasting and not like freely choosing to go on a bender week after week or something like that, that doesn't last very long, but the sort of choosing virtuous things, choosing to build a life that is ordered towards something outside of yourself is what a government that wants power doesn't want its citizenry to do. Yeah. It, um, like I was saying, it's the replacement factor. Like you can't have those outside support systems or you're not going to rely enough on them and they'd, they, they have a perverse goal of getting as many people to rely on them as possible because, well, that keeps them necessary. Mm-hmm. But um, back to the uh, Christianity with it, like moving out of the country and stuff, and you see this like uh, secular um, kind of uprising, and it has somewhat of like a disdain for like this uh, almost like um, more religious past the, the countries come from. Mm-hmm. And... Um, do you see it as any kind of like backlash? Because like there was a point in time where like, I'd say like Christianity kind of was more than the norm in this country. You know, it was like the dominating force and it wasn't fault. 
Yeah. And, and there were some abuses that like have gone on and stuff of, you know, like, I mean, 50, I mean, up until like what, like the nineties, like uh, treatment of like the LGBT community, which I understand it's changing now, but um, mm-hmm. it seemed like it only started to change after the voice got loud enough and Christianity started to lose like a stranglehold or not just Christianity, but like religion. I don't know. Yeah. It could what be a ripple effect from a lot of that coming out and yeah. people yeah. Are becoming aware. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that, you know, while, I mean, I guess there is a sense that a lot of Christians had to come to a understanding of maybe something that you think is simple shouldn't be punishable by going to jail, right? Like sodomy laws and things like that should not be enacted, you know, especially, I think at the bare minimum, you should not be punishing people for, I think, victimless crimes, right? If people want to smoke, and I don't even know if necessarily weed is a crime or sex is a crime, you know, but what I I guess, I don't have another word for crime other than crime, but some sort of thing that you think is a sin or transgression that doesn't have an actual victim, where someone's not a victimizer and a victim clearly. You know, no. I think we can all agree that rapists should be punished, murderers should be punished, theft and stealing should be punished. But I think uh, there was a definitely a period of time, and it wasn't. I, I think there was definitely a period of time in the, especially like 40s to like 50s and 60s, with kind of like the counter like the Cultural Revolution that came in the 60s was sort of a reaction against this rigid sort of. Christian world that developed post uh, uh, after the Great Recession, and there was sort of a sense, I think, of not only like a, a bunch of hypocrisy among people in that, but also this sense of overly try, trying to make too much order out of the society and trying to dominate too much and get too much into people's lives and not allow people to have the liberty to choose good because. I think personally, if you're choosing to not, uh, you know, smoke weed or drink to excess or whatever it is, like if you're choosing to do something uh, or choosing to not do something because you're afraid of punishment, then that is not the highest good that you can achieve. You should be choosing to do something, not do something because you think it is not ordered towards your best, your human flourishing, right? You should be doing the things that you should be choosing good things because they're good, not because you're afraid of punishment. And I think that there are, I think that that's something that a lot of Christians now would take hold of and say, you know, maybe I personally disagree with certain things in the LGBT community, but I don't want them to be punished. I don't want them to be cast out of society in any way. I want them to be able to, you know, I, I mean, I work with people who are, you know, who are gay. I don't, I've hired people who are gay. Mm-hmm. I've never actually run into the trans question there. I think that's a little more complicated situation, but like, I think I don't have that issue. You know, it's like working side by side with someone. That's not a problem. You know, it's, I think that there was, there is a backlash now that's kind of trying to enforce this secularist idea, which I kind of feel like is a backlash against people trying to enforce Christian ideals on a post-Christian world 200 years ago, 300 years ago, you didn't have to worry about that because people kind of just all agreed because everyone was Christian pretty much like that, especially here in America, 
that's just how it was. Everyone was pretty much a practicing Christian. Yeah. And so you have to have laws to, you know, enforce some of those good, uh, the behaviors that they think they see as good. So. Yeah, no, I, I understand that. And it's not even like, um, you know, just not with those behaviors, but even just people who found themselves like not being religious, having it pushed on them and stuff like, you know, there's a, there's a lot of that. I'm just saying, um, it feels like it was such the norm and just, we're, we're in a generation that's rebelling against their parents. Like the last, like my, my mother's generation was probably like the last one to unquestionably like, and not even, I mean, they grew up in the sixties. It was already starting there, but uh, you, you still listen to your parents quite a bit, you know? And like this generation, <laughs> I mean, they just don't, the younger I see them like 10 years old and they're the boss of the house. Like it's, it's just generations just moving different. And it seems like people are, rebelling a lot against like yeah you know, it was like it was kind of like a 90s shift like things changed so quickly in the 90s like just technology wise we went from like cell phones being these huge things like right at the beginning of the decade down to like i mean when was the first iphone that was like 2004 four so pretty close to that yeah no, it, was, it was like 2006 or seven i think oh, we're that far. Cool. i thought i had like a i don't know maybe i don't know like they had ipod video yeah, they had like the iPod touches and everything a little bit before. Yeah. But I think it was probably 2005 or 2006 would be my guess. Yeah. But you get what I'm saying. I'm saying the shift was so fast that like you start talking to your parents about how to use their phone and all of a sudden they can't keep up with like what came out yesterday because that's like way past. the kid just gets to tell them whatever they should buy them. Yeah. <laughs> the kids have all the buying power. <laughs> it gets, it, yeah, it's, it's weird. It, it, was like a, it was like a quick shift. And I mean, it's starting to move like exponentially, but yeah, I think like there was a big gap between how like even just like kids of, I mean, like the late seventies, eighties and stuff, how kids were like raised from there to just like this instant shift, like in the two thousand, like how the two thousands kids are raised. I mean, it's all on their phones. It's everything. And oh. they just not on the same page as their parents at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I definitely think that there's a big shift in it. And I think that it's almost, it's not a shift in like, kind as much it is a shift in pace because for the last especially since the industrial revolution that was kind of the first time where you know you didn't just do the job your dad did because he also did the job his dad did and that goes back you know hundreds and hundreds of years right i mean if you look a thousand years ago there really wasn't much mobility if you were a farmer you were a farmer if you were dad was a cobbler you were a cobbler how what else were you going to learn <laughs> your dad's the only person you know <laughs> Exactly. And so, and so there, there really wasn't change from generation to generation that happened. Like if you look at what happened from 500 AD to 1000 AD, a lot of stuff changed and things happened. But if you look at like what happened in a hundred years there in a family, nothing really changed. Mm. And that really started to change in the 1700s, 1800s. And really in the 20th century, you saw a lot of change, but then like when you hit the computer age that really started to like Moore's law has been in effect since the industrial revolution. We talk about it a lot in the since computers because it's been very visible, but I've heard some economists argue that it's been in act, you know, it's been happening for 300 years now, basically. And that has kind of hit like this sort of inflection point. It seems like where the technologies like outpace, I, I mean, when I graduated high school, I was like falling behind on what apps were cool already. You know, I mean, I'm like, I'm still in college and supposedly one of the cool kids and I, I'm not keeping up with what my brothers are, what's up and what's new, let alone, you know, 
any parent that's out there or anything like that. And I do think that that kind of gives these kids, a lot of kids, and I, I can, I have two younger brothers, one's a senior in high school and one's in college. And I think that they, they and their friends have this attitude of we're in the know, we know more because we know all of these technological things. And my parents are sitting there like, yeah, but we've like lived through the cold war and, <laughs> and we were there for 9-11 as adults. Like we, we've also seen a lot of, you know, we've been alive for like five wars, you know, and all sorts of, you know, we have a lot of life experience and other stuff besides the best iPhone tricks. So don't act like I'm stupid because I can't change my font size. <laughs> and, and I think that that's kind of this, especially since the 2000s, I think that there, I think it was different and I might be biased because I was born in the nineties, but for people who were born in like the nineties that there is, there was kind of this, uh, I'm smarter because I have this, you know, advanced degree or I have these sorts of things, you know, I have this inside knowledge but, or that my parents don't have at least. And I don't know. I just think that it's much, much more now. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's real weird. Cause I don't think before this time kids were better than their parents at anything. Yeah. So they would act like, you know, they'd act like that and they could get shut down, you know, mm -hmm. like, you know, actually had no idea to do math or something, but yeah. now kids can just absorb technology. They understand it more than their parents who just don't because they don't have the time and then they have something to feel better about. Like it takes like a, like it's somehow, it's like the amount of time you have as like before you realize your parents aren't perfect has been like shortened. Like all of a sudden, like you just show up and like, Hey, I know something you don't know. That day happens a lot quicker. It yeah. Seems like. That's yeah. like five. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. When they're five on their iPad and they're like, no, you got to go here and do da da da. Yeah. My five-year-old cousin showed me how to use my mom's TV. I didn't know <laughs> how to use the new like cable boxes. Yeah. So you yeah. know, whatever they can have the world. I'm done with it anyway. I mean, I used to learn things better when I was that age. Like I think of some of the stuff I figured out on my own, like with a computer when I was like ten. Oh, yeah. I, I just <laughs> elastic. It just absorbed. It's just, <laughs> and now I'm like, I struggle. I struggle to learn how to set half this equipment up. <laughs> yeah well and i think there's a curiosity too that you have as a kid that, that like i mean like i my friends and i would spend all this time trying to figure out how to make like little blow darts out of paper and we figured we we've started like making them one way that we found that you, they were a lot faster easier to make and they actually worked better if we did it like this other way and and luckily one of my friends was a future engineer like he now works on materials for spacex so <laughs> he was uh kind of the leader in figuring out things for us. But uh, my other friend and I were very happy to go along and be able to like, you know, shoot air darts like across the room and break skin and stuff. And just, you kind of have that curiosity and that time to explore more so than when you're an adult and you're like, this shit's not working. I need to move on to something else because I have a million things to do today. When you're a kid, you just don't. Yeah, once you get 25, you're like, I need to make something of my life. I need to, I need to do something. Yeah, just get up in the morning, open your phone. No, still haven't figured it out. Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah. You know, getting out there, figuring it out. I mean, I really like, if, there, if there's anything, I know, like you said, when, when you do something long enough, eventually got to move on. Uh, but we've only been doing this a year, and I'm just still in love with it. Like, it's just so much fun to do this. And it doesn't feel like work. And what I've been telling myself, I'm like, even if it doesn't work out, like, 
these is like the best like home videos almost, you know? I mean, it's mostly yeah. audio, but time capsule. Yeah, yeah. Time capsule. Exactly. Yeah. And it's you're doing this anyway, just hanging out and talking. Yeah. <laughs> might as well record it. Exactly. And, and that's, and I think that's cool. I think, I mean, for me, the same way, there's a point where I was like not getting a lot of listens. I still don't get a ton. I mean, I'm not huge, but it's like, man, what am I doing this for? And then I'm like, this is really cool. Cause this is like a time capsule. Like you said, it's like a couple bucks a month to have hosting and have this to where like, Hey, my grandkids can see what I thought. That's kind of cool. Like you don't have a lot of times in history where you can just preserve things for your future generations. I can't imagine what I would give to have some of the things that, you know, my grandpa turned his life around as an alcoholic and became a success in life. I would love to know what he was thinking when he was starting to make those changes in his life or, or right after when he's like, man, I finally got my feet under me. This is how I feel. And that, you know, cause now you see him as a, as a success, but you don't see all those doubts and all those questions. And I think it's cool to have that sort of record and it's great that it's so cheap to have it. Yeah. And, and also you just learn a lot by doing this, like having conversations with different people. And for me, it's kind of a forcing factor to make sure that I'm reading and like continuing to learn things so that I can go on the podcast and talk about something new. And it's not the same thing every single week as well. Yeah, we got a little problem with that. We, we got like five things we always end up talking about. We just know what we like. <laughs> well, it's something too if you're, you know, it's a lot more entertaining to have a group of people talking about those things. I kind of do this generally solo and I've been doing more interviews, but um, before that, you know, if it's just me talking about the same thing, uh, I'll run out of things to talk about. I feel like if you have other people to bounce it off of, it's a little bit easier to keep, keep it a little bit more fresh. Yeah. Yeah. We try to switch out. Like we have um, three people on for the main show consistently. And then we switch out the fourth mic and that does, it keeps things moving. Like if it was mm-hmm. the same four people every time, I think we'd have a harder time. It, it just changes the dynamic and you like learn new things through each episode because it's just like, Hey, maybe we shouldn't do that when uh, we have so-and-so on. Cause it make I don't know. It's just like different things. Like you learn different things about how people act, like, especially like I mean, people's first times and stuff, you never really know how somebody's going to be on mic if they've never done anything like that before. So it's like things arise, but you learn different things with each person. Keeps it fresh. Yeah, that's true. I, I, I definitely think that it helps to, I listen to a podcast that has like three priests that'll kind of rotate around a little bit because they're not always there for the pot. Like, so it'll always be two of them. And it's really funny because their dynamic changes because, and you never know what you're going to get with them, like who, which two will be on there. But it's... It, there's just very, it's just very funny to hear like these two guys get along and gang up on this guy. And then the next time that that guy's on there, he's like, you guys were talking smack when I was out last week. And, and it's just funny to kind of see what that does when you change that out. It, it really keeps, and, and they talk about Catholic stuff the entire time. So, uh, you know, it's very, I mean, there's a lot to talk about in 2000 years of history, I guess, but um, it, it definitely keeps things fresh. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's fun. And I mean, uh, moving forward, we plan on having, um, you know, more people like yourself, just, um, just spreading out because right now it's a lot of, uh, you know, people we know, like I said, we weren't even doing Collins. It's people we find in around town and stuff, you know, yeah. but, uh, yeah, we just drive around in our truck and pick people up. <laughs> <laughs> You're actually making a joke a couple of weeks ago about just, uh, going on a dating app and setting up a date when the guy gets here, just be like, dude, do you want to do the show or not? <laughs> <laughs> searching for guests that way 
Yeah. Uh, just the worst, worst kind of catfish. And just be on there like, yeah, come on over. <laughs> <laughs> There's three of us. <laughs> I know you thought we were a hot blonde, but <laughs> this guy used to be blonde. It counts. <laughs> oh, man. But yeah. we got a couple beers and some microphones. So come check. Yeah. I really like. I don't want to waste somebody's time like that, but I'm actually curious to see if we could get a guy to stay after. Like, all that. look, you're clearly not getting laid tonight. You might as well hang with. <laughs> oh my god, that's funny. Now I think it'd be interesting to see, though. I, I feel like if you could pull it off. That'd be hilarious. I think like if we gave him money, it'd be fine. Like we'd have to do that. Like, we'd have to yeah. give him like fifty bucks. And just be like, it's cool, yeah. right? It'd either be legendary if it succeeds or we'll die if it fails. Yeah, it could really go that bad. <laughs> I think there's in between, maybe. Good. Hey, maybe. We're, we work with extremes over here. Yeah, go big or go. <laughs> oh, jeez. Yeah, well, um, what else is going on? Oh, you know what? We didn't talk anything about um, saying you haven't talked much politics on your show. We, we do that a little over here. Mm-hmm. Um, big man's got COVID. What's up with that? That's going to change things. Uh, yeah. I don't yet know how it'll change things though, because if he tests negative in like two days and I mean, I haven't seen him, you know, they gave him a little, they said they had him on oxygen at one point, which they probably did it precautionary. It's like, if this man who's lived off Big Macs his whole life can at 74, just beat this thing, no problem. You wonder how much that actually changes people's perspective on it. Cause Mm-hmm. I can show you all the numbers. I mean, like, like they look at the uh, people who, the percentage of people who die with COVID, mm-hmm. that's much actually, those rates of uh, like the fatality rate, or the, I forget which one it is exactly, but they don't really show the actual times where people's death is attributed to COVID. Not like they had three other comorbidities, got COVID, then got pneumonia and died. It's like, that's counted as a COVID death. Whereas that's not the same as really dying of COVID. It's the same as like people all the time get cancer and are in trouble and get pneumonia and die or whatever it is. Like pneumonia kills a ton of people, but yeah. no one worries about pneumonia. The flu, same thing. Like if you get that when you're vulnerable, it's bad. But those stats, you can't explain that to everybody. Like not many people are willing to hear that. And what people do know is the stories, the anecdotes, you know, are their friend that they had that had a really bad battle with it in their 40 or 30 and they were hospitalized. They may have had to be intubated and all that stuff. And when you see this unhealthy looking 75 year old man or however old he is, just like beat it in four days, even if he has good healthcare, obviously it's yeah. like, well, they're, they're always leaning towards that. Cause he did get to take that experimental drug. Which, but my, my argument, what three different treatments? What well, was the, mm-hmm. I did remdesivir. That's what they said. They gave them, right? What was it? There you yeah, go. Well, so he was doing, uh, so the other thing too that they won't talk about is he, uh, he was doing hydroxychloroquine, um, zinc, and the azithromycin already. I think. Yeah, like ahead of time. Yeah. Yeah, as a prophylactic. And then he had the, a, the other thing he did add in there was the zinc ion horn. I cannot think of what it's called, but it's something that changes the zinc ion so that it's actually usable by your body because that's what helps you fight coronaviruses, colds, flu, all that stuff. And he was, and, and hydroxychloroquine is what pumps that into the right place. And so prophylactically, he was set up to be healthy already. 
Yeah. And and so he was in a good spot, but you know, I'm curious to see what is the fallout because I think that the people I don't know, the people who I talk to right, left, center are interested in getting back to work, are interested in saying, I'm ready to move past this. Mm. I'm however old, I'm more likely to die of the flu if I'm under 60, pretty much. And so I want to get back to my life. And so I wonder how many people are going to see that and be like, oh, that's a promising thing. A, B, you know, now Biden and people are recoiling even more so and attacking for, you know, beating the virus. It's like, well, he hasn't quite beat it, but you know what I mean? And I wonder if that pulls people in and says, I want to move past this. He wants to move past this and it helps him out actually. Yeah. I wonder how it's going to go. Cause I, I mean, at its peak, I mean, obviously in places like New York and stuff, it was getting bad because, you know, everyone's so clustered together. So I don't know what's going to happen when some of the country is deciding we're over this and some of the country is actually at a place where they don't have that as an option. Cause you know, it's, it's different in different places. And, um, Wait, hey, can you, are you, oh, I thought you were leaving the room for a second. I was just going to ask you to grab me. Anyway, uh, sorry about that. Um, yeah, so I'm saying there are, there are places where it's, um, it's getting like, it's, it's, they're, gonna, they're probably going to need to lock down again. And um, I don't know like how that's going to shift them because they had a totally different experience. So I feel like this is just, whether, no matter what happens, this is going to yet again just push everyone towards their extremes. Mm-hmm. Like this has just made the Biden voters more, comfortable with what they got trump voters more comfortable with what they got yeah Sorry. i think that that's a possible i think so but i do think that you know like new york's talking about locking down again because they have a spike but if you look at what if you look at the totality of what's happened in the last six months in any of these places like whenever they talk about the spike don't look at what's happened in the last three weeks look at the totality because yeah. if at their peak they were having you know 5,000, you know, if, if at the peak they were having 5,000 deaths a day or something like that, I don't know what the number would be, but, and now they're talking about a death, a jump that was from like 100 to 200 deaths. It's like, that sounds really, really bad. But then when you put it in context of everything that goes on and how many, you know, there's 8 million people in New York and however many more on the New Jersey side of things, it's like that whole area is just millions and millions of people. Things happen. And when you have that many people, like if, here in Indianapolis, that sounds crazy, but that number might not be as crazy for how many people they actually have there statistically. Once, once you look at how many people die of car accidents and you compare those things, you think, oh, wait, and you kind of take a step back. And I think that what we have to do is not be, not compare coronavirus to unlike things, but just put the risk factor in perspective and say, okay, what is the actual statistical risk for someone in my age group of contracting this, even if there's a spike, even if whatever's going on, because the fact of the matter is we're not going to move past things until you have enough people actually get the virus or get vaccinated. One of those two things, it's going to keep spreading as long as there are people who are vulnerable to it. And the goal is to have the treatments there for people who do catch it to make it through. Okay. And to not have to go into severe healthcare or, or obviously not have any fatalities from it. And so 
I, I think that just putting that into like finding a way to put it into perspective is important and take and I think that like uh, following Justin Hart or Jeffrey Tucker people on like that on Twitter do a great job of like saying okay here's the number that they're telling you here's the big 100% spike here's that graph in perspective and then or here's Sweden who's done everything wrong by the way they have no deaths and, and New York for what it's worth they got hit incredibly hard but still never overwhelmed their healthcare system which was the whole point of the flattening the curve yeah and now they're down to days where they have no deaths and you don't want to see all those people die they just got hit before we had an understanding of what the treatments could be mm -hmm. now florida and some of these other places that they say are spiking or have spiked texas when they had a spike a month or two ago they were able to handle it because we knew the treatments we knew what to use mm -hmm. and and so not only did they not overwhelm their healthcare system, they were able to treat patients better because we had learned things in a couple months of treating this virus. And at this point, I just feel like we kind of know what works. And if people would just stop obfuscating that from the media, from President Trump too, like everybody who just is on the extremes shouting about it, if people would just say, hey, here's what works and be calm, cool, and collected, I think we could really find a way to not totally move past it without precautions, but go to our normal lives with mild precautions in a lot of ways. Yeah. I've been saying that since the beginning. I mean, obviously we needed to figure out these treatments, but I think there was still even a way that we could have gone about that. Cause I mean, with like these mask mandates and stuff like this is supposed to help and it probably is because everyone's wearing that, but I just can't even believe that it's doing most of its job when almost every single person I see is wearing it wrong or wearing one of the ones that makes things way worse. Like um, they say those, uh, what are they called? The neck gaiters or whatever. Yeah. They say those, um, those just disperse it like every direction. Yeah. And then uh, the, the N95, uh, specifically the one with like the filter on the front, they say those in clean. No problem for you. Everyone else, shotgun if you have it. It's just blasting that stuff back at everyone. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm saying like, I mean, like, it's like basically just those medical ones and like a normal cloth mask is the only like good ones to actually be wearing. And um, I, I just see way too many of the other things that I'm like, if this thing was out here, there's like probably 40% of people who are actually doing this precaution correctly. Mm -hmm. So even then it seems like we've almost done nothing. Like the lockdowns, like everything you measure, it seems like people were doing the polar opposite of it. So how can we even know it helped? It seems like it didn't. It seems like actually the worst thing was trapping everyone inside for extended periods, just sitting next to each other. That was probably the one thing the lockdown did that made everything worse. Yeah. No, it seems like that's the case. And it seems like, you know, masks have a mixed bag of things. There's a lot of countries that are doing really, really well with masking that got hit and got knocked on their ass. Like Southern Europe was masking really well and got rocked. Whereas a lot of the Scandinavian countries had like really low masking rates and have done much better already and are kind of through it now. Hmm. And like, so it, but what they did was they, unlike Cuomo in New York, they kept their old people away and did not, you know, and protected the nursing homes pretty quickly, but they were a little slow to do that. Um, and well, he did, didn't he send people back into nursing homes that were already sick? Did we yeah, he did. Yeah, yeah but, but then they pulled them out of the nursing homes to make sure that when they did pass away, they did in the hospital. So it wasn't counted as a nursing home death. So, 
Right. <laughs> <laughs> or yeah. No, yeah, no, they, they pull them out to get them treatment, but then those don't count as, you know, someone who contracted it or died at a nursing home. So you can pretty much double their numbers on whatever they say there. But it's like, and, and Sweden didn't know that at first either. We didn't know, you know, when they were saying, we're not locking down, we're not doing any of that when everyone else was, they, you know, they did make some mistakes and we all did, right? Because it's a new thing. We, we hadn't run into this before. And so you don't know how to, handle a virus that you haven't studied, that you haven't, you know, ran into. But I think the other thing to remind us is to put into perspective, the Spanish flu, the way it ran through our population today, if you at like, if you translate the percentage of the population to today's numbers, I mean, it's millions and millions of people, right? I mean, it's, it's enormous carnage. And that's right after you have World War I. And those people still, you know, they took precautions, because we did have at least I think we at that point would have had the germ theory but it it wasn't as extreme as this and I think that our response is disproportionate to the threat and I just I don't know how to explain it any other way but that is I think the most simple thing and I think we need I don't want to get back to full normal I, I do want to get back to full normal but if people want to take their precautions fine but as a 25 year old I'm not worried about it. I don't want to not be able to go to a bar and hang out till 3 a.m. because you're scared of it. Let yeah. go do what I want to do. And, you know, my, I'll get it. I'll be fine. And then you have one less person who can spread it at that point. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well, uh, have you, um, what's like, what's the rates on that? Can, didn't they say you can get it again? Something. I don't know, but my mom got tested for the antibodies twice. It's been six months since she had it. She had lost her sense of smell and taste and everything. And did it come like, back though? Sorry? Did it come back? The, the, the still, has the still has the antibody. She just got tested a couple weeks ago. So for no, 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 I'm saying the, um, the senses, did the senses come back? Oh, yeah, 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 she got it back. Yeah, sorry. Because I heard that some people still don't have them. Like it just, it's taken a long time. Yeah, no, she did. She got it back. Uh, decently fast but like she know, like she has like a sense of smell that's like crazy so when she stopped like when she, when it went away she really noticed it. she's like this is weird and then like two weeks later it came out that that was one of the symptoms and about a week or two after that she kind of started to regain it um mm. but yeah so she's been tested just to make sure like because she got tested to see if she had the antibodies when they came out that you could and they're like oh well they go away after three months so she's like well screw it and so she's like six months later, she went and got tested just to see what it looked like. And it's like, yep. So I'm skeptical that that's the case that everybody loses the antibodies, A. And B, you don't necessarily keep antibodies as far as I understand. I'm a layman here on this. <laughs> but as far as I understand, you don't necessarily need to keep the antibodies to be able to fend off a virus because your body kind of incorporates the kind of the memory of how to defend it and that you have T cell immunity as well. And so I think that can be, you know, kind of take that on and be able to fend it off as well. I could be wrong, but that is my basic understanding. Yeah, sounds, sounds about what I heard. So, <laughs> yeah, I, I try to not like espouse on this. Like I know I'm like, I studied marketing in college, so definitely this is not my domain, but. I feel like I can through. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, same, yeah, same. None of us said we were doctors when we started. It's all right. You know? I did, but I was lying. Yeah, you're, you're <laughs> always lying, though. That's the whole point of this whole podcast network. Yeah. yeah it's just a sham. <laughs> uh, but, uh, yeah, so what else, is, what else has been going on? Let me see what else we had written down. No, no, but your laptop's about to die. Oh, shoot. I didn't even notice that. Yeah, I don't have it plugged in. Um, you know what? Let me get this. Let yeah, me get me this too. plugged in real quick. One sec. <laughs> yeah. So, um, oh, I wanted to mention before when we were talking about religion and stuff, cause I grew up Roman Catholic. I was like confirmed. I went through all that shit. And then I found out through like movies that like people used to hate Roman Catholics. And I was like, I didn't know there were things like that. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's crazy. I mean, like even still the Freemasons were founded in order to really combat the influence of the Catholic church in a lot of ways and to create kind of this more secular society here in America, it's just a men's club, but over in Europe, they really did a yeah. lot of stuff to push back. Uh, and unplug my vacuum over there. But yeah, yeah, a, a guy I work with, uh, he, he watches a lot of history podcasts and stuff. So I was like, bring up random stuff. Um, but I, I love all the old, um, theories about how religions got started and things and possible mistranslations uh, mm-hmm. so i was like i just binge youtube videos like that you know <laughs> yeah it's tough it's tough to know too there because there's a lot of especially uh like it, scholarship in the 1800s that wasn't very scientific about things and so and a lot of times like especially with They call it like the Egyptomania. Like there's a lot of things that just say everything that is religious came from Egypt and everything's a mockery of Egyptian religion. And, you know, it was kind of baseless in a lot of ways. Uh, There's a lot of. Yeah. Those Egyptologists are, um, they they got big heads. Wait, wait, wait. What what part of this was baseless? I know I just joined in halfway through, but uh, all the, uh, you're saying the religions, um, kind of extended from Egyptian worship? There was, no, there was a lot of people in like the 1800s as they were like kind of under, like exhuming all these different tombs and all this stuff and really doing a lot of archaeology that like there's a bunch of people who were like kind of pseudo scholars who would just say, you know, attribute all sorts of different religious beliefs to Egypt. They'd be like, oh yeah, there's this thing that is the exact same story as Jesus Christ's story. And, and it's really, you know, not. You you see it everywhere. You're just like, oh, humans actually aren't that creative. That's all it means. <laughs> yeah. And, and even then, it's like a lot of times the story that they say he was told is wrong. And then also the things that they're working off of, we've also discovered older manuscripts that show that like those are actually reflective of something different too. So they were, some of them were actually working with what they had, but a lot of them were just trying to write something sensational and kind of just BSing and they knew it. Yeah. A lot of people made a lot of money and scientists made big names on Egypt. And then they, when they were being proved wrong, they didn't like it. <laughs> you know, uh, I was, uh, I was only, in, I was bringing up the connection. Uh, well, you guys were brought it up. I just jumped into it, but, uh, cause Jordan Peterson, I listened to uh, some of his stuff and he did, um, I listened to most of maps of meaning. Okay. The cat just kicked open the door. <laughs> Uh, so, uh, all right. So he, he does maps of meaning and, um, what was the other one? Um, 
in the biblical series? Yeah, his biblical series, yeah. And yeah. Um, yeah, he's made those comparisons like himself. So you're saying, though, that's, that's kind of like pseudoscience? Or? No, no, no. So there's a lot of the stories that they have that there are uh, – I think that what he does well is he shows that there is eternal truths that we're trying to get at. And a lot of stories kind of show, kind of come out in similar ways because the truths are the same for everybody in some sense, right? We're trying to grasp at the same, because if there is an objective truth, then there is one truth for all of us to discover. And as humans, we're built a certain way. We're going to express that a certain way based on our physiology is a lot in our evolutionary, you know, basically who we are as human beings. That's, that's a lot of what he talks about, but there were a lot of Egyptologists who kind of would like find like fifth century, seventh century manuscripts and like go back and say like, Oh, this is obviously a story that was a thousand years old in Egypt. And that wasn't necessarily true. Or they would like the, uh, um, uh, something, the clan of Mithras or the, I forget what the exact, the like, but there's something supposedly a Roman person named Mithras that came about and healed people and did all the stuff that Jesus did. And he was a story that was 300 years before. Well, it's actually something that is based on the story of Christ that didn't come around to like 500 years after him or something like that. Yeah. And a lot of people use that to disprove and say, Oh, Jesus is based on this guy. But in reality, it's the opposite. And so there's, I, I have trouble, uh, looking into those things. I, I think that it's, you have to kind of find the right scholars to look into those. Cause there's a lot of people who I think use some of the bad scholarship. And from what I've seen of some of those things, cause my brother will send me videos every now and then. And I'm like, what are you doing? This isn't, <laughs> I don't know what this is. You can see uh, what, like an atheist type trying to discredit or, or just finding. He's just uh, very uh, skeptical of, just anything kind of, you know, he's in that radical skeptical, sc radical skepticism sort of phase. And yeah, I don't want to just call it phase and write it off, but like he's in college. Yeah. Right. Exactly. He took a philosophy class in college. And so oh, he's reading Nietzsche on the train <laughs> and shit. <laughs> oh, man. But yeah, he, he just sent me something. And I'm like, that's very interesting. Like he sent me one that's like, Oh yeah. The, like a polar shift is what caused the flooding of Atlantis and why everything, all our myths are like 10,000 years old. And I was watching it like, this is very interesting. And then I looked it up and I'm like, I don't buy any of this. This <laughs> yeah. I started looking into like what polar shifts do. And I'm like, I don't think this is, this would have to be one hell of an event. Yeah. Didn't, we, didn't we actually, wasn't there something that was similar to that? Like there was like a magnetic shift not that yeah. long ago. Yeah. Yeah. That's why this year is like it is. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah, like, I could see it, like, if you're like, oh, yeah, it, like, knocks out communications or something like that. I could see how, like, things like that would happen or it throws off, you know, it might throw off where satellites are in space and all that. All the birds. I could see that stuff, but, like, I don't see it, like, just changing where the continents are, like this video yeah. he sent me. I'm like, you, I was like, I'd just be a little yeah. skeptical. No, I've, I've heard a lot about, like, the even the lost continent theory and all that shit's interesting. You know, if we find out that human history isn't what we thought, that's all cool. Um, but, I mean, like, oh, especially as far as, like, faith, it's like, well, is it, it doesn't really matter what, you know, your religion means to you right now, especially. But, yeah. mm -hmm. Well, it's faith-based, so it doesn't really, you know, you always got that, yeah. Right? 
<laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and and it's not like it's, I mean, it wouldn't bother me either way, but I just looked at the evidence of it. And I'm like, I'm just, I'm not an expert in it, but I just wasn't very sold on it. Cause, and so, but yeah, I just think that there's, I'm just very skeptical of anything that I listen to, or I just try to question it because I feel like, yeah, here's the thing is, especially since I've had a podcast, like, I know how little I know. And if anyone can get out there and sound like an expert, because people will like, every now and then people will say something to me. And I'm like, I don't know expert in this. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. But when you have a podcast, you're people, no more than me. Yeah. yeah. And so it's like, so I know that I, how little I know. So I just try to be questioning it and say, does that really make sense? Does that cohere with other things that I know? And if not, you know, maybe put on the back burner. And if I find more evidence for it, okay, I can re you know, look into it. But if it's not pressing, I don't really worry about it too much. Yeah. Like there's a, there's a lot of stuff like that. Like, you know, like just in Atlantis and all like, you know, just, well, you were saying like our history has been, uh, could be all wrong. And I mean, I think we got most proof of that. What last year when they found that, um, human, like uh, they found remains of a human that was 300,000 years old, which just like opened the timeline even more. <laughs> oh, yeah. Or a homo sapien or whatever. Like I'm saying like someone that's in our form they found way older than we thought. It opened like what, like 200,000 years. Yeah, I think I remember talking about that. Yeah, so uh, switched up our understanding of a lot of stuff. Yeah. I feel like that happens all the time too. Yeah, it does. Like, that's why there's no point in keeping track of it. It's going to change tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's why you just like wait a hundred years and then study what happened. And then you kind of know you get caught up at that point. Like, yeah, I'll check back on that. And like I said, <laughs> if that was disproven. Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah, it does change a lot. Very like, just, it, I mean, because there's new discoveries being made and you have to figure out how to incorporate that into. Yeah. It's like we were talking about before, like um, how like in a hundred years a family didn't change. It's like how many world changing events did the average person experience in their lifetime? 500 years ago yeah like none like one maybe like a war and a plague like yeah and you may not even really experience it like you may not even know that it happened yeah you're just like oh there's a war in the state hope it doesn't get close i was hearing somebody talk about that today they were making a uh, joke about traveling these is mostly peaceful he's like you know if you went to like large parts of france during world war ii i bet it was mostly peaceful like it's (laughs) it's not everywhere (laughs) Yeah. If you went out of the countryside, if you're like in the Alps, it's like, yeah, you know, yeah. maybe you're not having an issue, but <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's, um, like, like I, we were saying with the conspiracy things too, though, I, I definitely, like, some things you just got to quit on. Like you can't just look into forever. Like I, I got a buddy who every single thing has to be like a conspiracy. Like the whole world is just like a theater for him. Like it's just one big inside job that he's not, that he, he, he's looking into it. <laughs> but, um, I just like at a certain point, I'm just like, dude, like people can't listen to you because you'll say one thing that's verifiably wrong and we can't hear the rest. Like, yeah, it's just, uh, you just got to give up on certain things. They just like, some people just want to believe whatever they want to believe. Like it's, it's, I don't know. <laughs> I, I agree. And, and I think that that's where, you know, kind of the, not, I think that with conspiracies, conspiracies, my approach is not to say, here's what happened. It's to say, this doesn't feel right. You know, mm-hmm. we don't have, like, is this, like, this is what we've been given as whatever the narrative is, like, especially, or or not given, like, the biggest mass shooting in American history. We still don't know anything about 
what happened or why or you talking why about um, uh, in Las Vegas? I, yeah. And so it's like my my approach is not hey here's this this and this and this why it happened. You know I might throw out an idea like here's some of the facts of the case and this is plausible, but I'm not going to say that that's what happened. It, it's so sticky. It went away so fast. Like it was, it was like, and you know what? Somebody pointed this out. We, we were looking at it. Me and my brother were like, the, the only thing they ever had from that, like uh, press thing, the, like the first thing they did after that, first press to talk about it, they didn't go on CNN. They didn't go on Fox. They didn't go on any of that. They went on Ellen. They went on Ellen and they had two security guards describing the entire scenario. I'm like, what kind of psyops are you like trying to convince these like housewives of? <laughs> yeah. They're not the ones wondering you need to go on Alex. You need to go on info wars and explain what happened. <laughs> yeah. No, like, yeah, yeah. Seriously. Calm those dudes down. Yeah. Well, I, I think they're meeting their objective with that though. There's like these two security guards. They're like, it was crazy and scary and bad. And like everyone who watches Ellen's like, good. I'm glad it's over. <laughs> exactly yeah. so, it's, it's just it's those kinds of things where it's like this whatever you're telling me doesn't add up i i'm okay with that but if you're going to give me this grand thing that happened on the other side of it i'm like eh. and it's like especially when you see actual conspiracies that come to fruition because there are you know the lincoln assassination was a conspiracy they were trying to get mm-hmm. multiple other go- government officials you can kind of look into notes and see what happened and if you look back at the Russia investigation, there really was a conspiracy and there was a lot of people who were, whether or not you like Trump or not, there were a lot of people within the justice or within the FBI that were targeting him in didn't some they, way. Didn't they finally have like a solid connection between Hillary Clinton and James Comey like as of last oh, yeah. week? My, yeah. very, my very first episode was on the connections because I, if you want to know it's a very long book. I listened to it, not read it, but Red Notice by Bill Brower. He explains everything about how, like, kind of these Russian counter ops work and, like, their Russian spy community works in modern day. He was a hedge fund manager who got into water with them and had to kind of sort it out. And Fusion GPS was basically leveraged against them, which is where they went, right, mm-hmm. to get the research and the uh russian lady that met with eric trump was the one that met with bill brower trying to get him to stop um stop this magnetsky act which was freezing uh human rights abusers assets basically is what it was people were over there in russia abusing their people and then getting rich off selling off ussr assets and putting their money in american banks and so we froze their assets and then he was going around the world getting these acts passed in all sorts of Western countries where they kept popping the money to. And she was the lobbyer that tried to push back against it. So when they were like, oh, why the hell, Eric Trump was like, why the hell are they talking to me about this abortion law, that, or not abortion, adoption law that they have over in Russia? That was the law that they passed in retaliation to our, uh, to the Magnitsky Act, you know, in, under Obama, 2000, it was like 2013, 2014, something like that. And so the whole background to what happened is pretty crazy, but it's, it's, it's a real conspiracy. And it's just, all it is, is a foreign actor who hates us trying to confuse us. They didn't care what happened yeah. politically because no one's going to enact serious enough sanctions on them that really hurts Putin and his you know, cronies. Yeah. 
what they want is confusion over here so we're weaker and they can operate in places like Syria and work with China and some and expand their sphere of influence in their area. That's all they want is confusion yeah. so that we can't put present a unified front against them. I know, and, like you see the sides they were like supposedly they're talking about all this Russian interference and it's just it's just chaos. They just pitch in every direction. And they're like, hey you guys, um you ever heard of Black Lives Matter? You should get into that. Hey you guys, have you ever heard of Patriot Prayer? Check that out. Boogaloo boys, what do you want? Like they just toss all these different little groups around to get everybody in their own little echo chamber. And oh, yeah. just got the nation fried. Even in Catholic Twitter, I like say something against uh like people who are very, you know, angry. Like I'm not a very, you know, there's a lot of Catholics that are very angry at the Pope, always mad about every little thing all the time. And I was like, hey, chill out. And I get bots hitting me up on that. I'm like, what is this? Like, really, we're going after, like, this, this is now also where we're trying to create conflict? And it, and it is. It's every little place that they can use social media. And they've spent $200,000 on, or $100,000 or whatever on Facebook ads. Yeah. Like, the Daily Wire, or it's literally know, what I was gonna just say. Many impressions in a day as these Facebook ads got in the entire election season. So yeah, yeah, it's it's wild. It the it's blown out of proportion what the interference was because it's it was all it was all to create confusion and it, it's just silly. Yeah. Like yeah. Joe, Joe Rogan, like if they interfered in the election, Joe Rogan interfered like 12 times over. <laughs> exactly. Oh yeah. At least exactly. Yeah. It's, yeah. Sorry, what? it's no, I was just going to say it's ridiculous to think that like the impact that they had really changed a lot of minds because the other thing too, is all it did was entrench anybody. You know, it, all it did was you repost this thing and then your friend on the other side of the aisle hates that you post that in comments and gets angry and, is more entrenched in their position. You guys get into, you know, and you're both just further polarized and in the same camp you would have been anyways. Yeah. I know. Like I hear like my mom and my aunts argue some of the time and I'm like, you guys don't realize you agree on almost everything. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and they yeah. just, they get these fine little points they found that they don't agree on and they just go back and forth on them all the time. It's ridiculous. Like this, <laughs> this, this whole year was just such such like a build-up to it like i mean just 2015 on let's say like that time just leading up to the trump election the russian interference and all that getting everyone entrenched and then all of a sudden they go let's take six months off trap everyone in their house and just they already have their opinions let's just let them fester online and argue about it not face to face with a bunch of people and just make it 10 times worse mm -hmm. scary year <laughs> <laughs> yeah and it's i think it's a lot easier to have a conversation like like this, even if it's, you know, on Zoom, even if it's over, you know, over a phone call, something like that where you actually have to interact with somebody. When you're interacting with an avatar and you have 280 characters, yeah, it's just not a formula for creating a good discussion. Yeah. Yeah, you're not <laughs> changing anyone's mind. Yeah. No, because you have to have a prolonged discussion. You have to actually understand the other person's point of view and really understand it, not get their summarized version. And you can't get that on Twitter. You can't even get it on, you know, Facebook where you have enough characters probably to do it because you don't have the time to, you know, mess around with it. Mm. Yeah, no, I, I mostly just get dunks on Twitter. Like that seems like the only thing that goes good. <laughs> <laughs>
just show up like I know a thing you don't. <laughs> Done. Going home for the day. You got my points. <laughs> um, yeah. But um, yeah. So so how long did you say you were doing this for? You you got 150 episodes, but you said two years. Yep. About um, I guess about two and a half years. I probably I think I started in early 2018. Yeah. It's, uh yeah. So it's um. Or I guess it's been two years. Yeah. Huh? Yeah. I think I started in 2018. Now I'm trying to think. I think it's been a what? It's been like a year and a month now. For well, it's been a little longer. We recorded like six episodes that we never released. We just like practice ran and just mm-hmm. hung out, had beers and stuff. And I mean, even up until like the first three episodes of our show, we are just like beyond drunk, just trying to be comfortable on the mic. <laughs> just it's sloppy. <laughs> um, yeah. By now, I mean. Um, it's it's it feels like it's going good. I, I like the direction it's moving in, but um, you feel like it's yeah. always progressing. Even two years in, it's moving along. Yeah, I feel like it's just cool to see the growth that happens when you're like, yeah. oh, this really strike a chord with people. Or that, oh, people aren't really vibing with that. Let's yeah. you know do less of that, and you just kind of start to respond to the response that you get almost, and put out not just crowd pleasers necessarily but hmm. do what people seem to enjoy and pay attention to yeah i try to keep a focus on that too because with our twitter i our show is not really like like part of it is like the political stuff um me and the other guy who hosts the show my buddy elijah mm-hmm. tends to be a little more like libertarian leaning but i'm really not that attached to it i'm more attached to better ideas showing up and me agreeing with those i just like the ones i found so far and mm-hmm. um we talk about that but on Twitter, it's heavily political. And I feel like with ours just being like a variety hour fun show, I've definitely cultivated like a heavily libertarian audience on Twitter. And mm-hmm. uh, I don't know. I, uh, I don't know if they're surprised to find what they find when they get there, but it's, it's, I don't, I don't know. It's weird. I, I do also feel like it might be a good group of people though, because I mean, we tend to, from all angles, free speech, um, you know, just, just, just liberty ideas. I don't know. Like we, we tend to as a whole, like promote people expressing their own ideas and all those kind of things and having fun and saying whatever we want. And I feel like libertarians will be for that. And then at the same time, I'm cultivating more of the, um, like the, uh, the shit posting meme types. Like, yeah, yeah. I got, I got a lot of those guys on mine. So it, it tends to fit. Like, I think they'll be there for that, but, um, yeah, like I said, I'm trying to avoid though, listening hundred percent. Like when I go and say stuff on Twitter, I'm like, I had once or twice, like a little voice police in my, in my head, like, hey, you don't want to piss off all those libertarian guys that you got going. I'm like, wait a minute. Yes, I do. Screw them. No. <laughs> if you're ever worried about pissing off libertarians, you're going to piss off the other libertarians. So like, if you're like, oh, no, no, if I say that, that's going to piss off these guys. Then there's going to be like, because they're just. Are you they, suppressing your voice for the feelings of others? Fuck you. <laughs> Now, like I saw, I saw a Venn diagram yesterday of like Democrats, Republicans and stuff. It was Democrats and Republicans love authoritarianism. Democrats and libertarians, they love uh, weed and uh, social rights. Uh, guns, and, uh, guns and money on uh, the Republican libertarian. And the dead center hates libertarians. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It's like, yeah, no matter what, you're not going to please all libertarian Twitter. So you're not going to. I wouldn't even worry about that. <laughs> hey, uh, are you voting for Joe? Are you that kind of libertarian? <laughs> I don't know. I'm more of a don't vote libertarian because I'd yeah. rather. But 
you know, well, I don't know. We'll see. It's yeah. tough. Well, I'm only saying that because, like, you know, we're talking about the libertarians fighting, and boy, has she been a point of controversy. Like, they are... I actually don't love her as a libertarian candidate. Either. Yeah, I, mean, I know a lot of people don't. Like a, to me, she, like, from what I've seen of her on Twitter, I'm like, she just seems kind of like a Democrat from 20 years ago to me in a lot of ways, which is, you know, whatever you think of it. But it's like, I don't see a lot of the, uh, like really forceful limiting government it seems like there's a lot of the social justice type stuff is what i get from her account and fine but i don't think it's a strong i don't know doesn't well, speak to like part of, part of the way i looked at it it was originally like oh well she's kind of doing the campaigning thing she's trying to reach out to other groups and stuff but really at the end of the day i've just been convinced by the people who made the arguments we're not running a camp. The only thing we have is the campaign, actually. It's the only thing we have. We're not going to win this. She's not going to be president. So messaging is the key. Yeah. And yeah, she's not exactly touting the line. But the other part of me says, well, she's like 70% of what I want. These other guys are like 20. So if I had to pick, she's, she's pretty great for that, like compared to them. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's tough. It's like, well, and that's the thing is, it's like, I guess the question there is like, do you vote for someone who agrees with you on a lot more that is going to not win and it most, you know, and everyone's, and I do get the idea that third party candidates, like the idea that not voting for them because they won't win is, you know, why people don't vote for them because, you know, it's like, it kind of is a vicious circular reasoning, yeah. but the other thing is, it's like, do you vote for the person who you maybe agree with more? It's not like the lesser two evils. It's, do you agree with the person who's going to effectuate more of what you want, really, mm -hmm. is what the whole, like, I, I think that put, posing it as there's two evils and I need to pick the less. It's like, do I want to pick the person who is going to, who's running on a socialist agenda or someone who I really have a lot of disagreements with? But over the last four years, my life hasn't really changed much. I've gotten a tax cut. And while I don't like what he's done on guns, deregulation has been good. You know, it's like, uh, I don't know. Like, you, you kind of have to, I think that weighing all those things together is tough in a way. Hmm. Exactly. And, and that's what I think about with a libertarian candidate. I'm like, well, it's more of the things I want to hear. And I, what am I going to wait around for somebody who's a hundred percent of what I view? I don't think that'll happen until I'm running. Like, <laughs> yeah. So I'm like, well, this person's obviously way better. We can get some of those messages out, but I get it when she takes some stances that are like really hard or seem just really hardcore against the platform. Mm -hmm. I, I don't understand it as much, but I, I have trouble with any candidate who's, you know, like uh, kind of touting the BLM stuff and, because as an organization, I can't think of anything that that organization really promotes on their We, we Believe page that they took down that I can, you know, I'm, I'm very, like, I have my sharp criticisms of policing and where that lies, but everything that BLM has purported, I don't think is, um, is any sort of solution for that. And yeah. no, go ahead. Sorry. No, no, no. I was just saying, uh, uh, yeah, you, you, you just, yeah. <laughs> Zoom. <laughs> it just seems to me that like those, that's where she kind of lost me a lot of ways is 
when you start giving into that, um, that part of our country, it's like, now I don't have anything in common. Like, I don't have anything in common with those people. So if you're trying to build a wide tent, it's like, that's fine. But when you build a wide tent, you lose people because there's people who are there for the narrow tent, if they're going to be there for you. And I think that like, that's what a Ron Paul type person understands is Mm -hmm. I'm here to, you know, put out the message of what Liberty really is about. Mm -hmm. And that is, I think, I think that that's a, I think you have two options. You can either have a society where we don't have the two party system and you can actually run a legitimate third party, or you can, have a party get out there and get their message out and sway the other parties to move towards you yeah. to get your voters. That's her argument. What she's doing. She's made that argument before. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But she says that's what she's doing. But uh, she uh, also, you were saying you got a lot of it off of her tweets and stuff. So like, this is a perfect example of her support for black lives matter. Um, she, if you go down through the thread and you see the rest of her comments and stuff, when she's talking to other people, she explains herself more and Cohen's gone out of his way to explain for her. But, um, they, they're kind of similar to where I am, where uh, lowercase BLM, which she put the uppercase BLM hashtag, which probably caused most of the confusion, but lowercase BLM, uh, yeah, totally support it. Black lives do matter. I mean, that's an obvious that's a given, but the organization themselves has some motives where they're using this thing as a guys and they have a lot of other things in their agenda that have nothing to do with black lives mattering. And mm-hmm. oftentimes certain black lives don't matter to them because they don't support the cause. So it's, it's obviously not the message and way terrible branding because you know what would get way more people on board is if they name their organization, stop killer cops. And this wasn't my suggestion. I can't think of who said it, but like that was just the perfect thing for me. I was like, yeah, if you called it stop killer cop, I think it might've been Adam Carolla. Yeah. yeah you named Probably. that. It, it would have that there you go like everybody can get on that yeah we don't want any killer cops out there the second you introduce and make it a race thing and then also have all this like um marxist like ideology backing it it's not really what it's about anymore and yeah. i think everybody could have gotten on board with what it says it was about exactly no and i mean that was my first you know after the riots and um oh now i can't even remember i was about to say ferguson but Osha, not, uh, uh, in, up in uh milwaukee it, Okay. Or, yeah, right. Minneapolis? Minneapolis? Is that the one you're talking about? Minneapolis, thank you. I knew it was one. Yeah. I was like, did that happen in Milwaukee? (laughs) I think it happened in Milwaukee since then. But, yes, um, Minnesota. uh, Or in Minneapolis. I mean, I guess it was in Minnesota. But when that first happened, to get to my point, was my I was like, okay, look, here's what we needed. Like, my first podcast was, there are problems with the cops and the riots. And here's what they are. Like, both of these guys are wrong in a number of ways. I think that policing could be a hell of a lot better. I think that we could fix our laws in a lot of ways so you don't have to deal with them. But the riots are just, and everything that goes along with that is just not right in any way, shape or form. That's not the right response to, you know. It doesn't get anybody on your side, I'll say that. It definitely doesn't. And who are already on their side. doesn't help either right it it's not going to get anyone on your side and it's going to alienate people who already are on your side and it's just the wrong thing to do to go and loot and burn things yeah i know like how many 
how many like signs I saw outside of uh, buildings that said uh, proud black business with just smashed out windows. Like, yeah, I don't know. Though, then again, I don't even believe that sign for a second. I'm just like, man, you're hiding. Yeah, I would put that sign out. Yes. <laughs> you got to try something. Exactly. But, but at the time, they weren't really, I mean, they were staying in the local neighborhood. So you probably did have, yeah. I mean, it probably yeah, was a lot. They destroyed their own neighborhoods. That's, that's the worst yeah. part of it. Like, and that and it took them like a good month to be like, what if we go to someone else's neighborhood? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it's like, I mean, you don't want either of those things to happen, but at least you, you kind of understand the retaliation against who you think your aggressor is. Like, yeah. it's not right, still, but it, you understand that impulse. But if you're just like, I'm so angry, I'm going to rob, you know, the guy who goes to church with me and that other guy whose diner I've ate at since I was a kid. It's like, really? That's your response to this? Because they did nothing to you except probably be good to you most of your life yeah jesus sorry about that this, this guy I live on a loud street yeah guy drives by with a motorcycle and sets off every alarm like once an hour oh, wait oh he's, he's doing a double round oh oh that, that was just sick are you getting all this is this getting picked I hear, up? I hear a little bit of yeah I, I hear an alarm and then i heard the uh i heard him coming back by the last time they just do wheelies up and down the street i don't get it oh yeah doing big things there's, there's a motorcycle like club like two blocks from my house and so sunday nights sometimes they do parties i'm like dude it's like 11 o'clock on a sunday night i'm trying to go to sleep and it is just they're all like all right we're out and so like there's like 40 motorcycles leaving this place at the same time i don't understand the point of it like uh, i'm not i'm not right with cars or anything but i'm like why is this and i know it's part of the appeal to them which is the stupidest thing to me why does it have to be so damn loud my car is like three times the size of what you're on and it doesn't make that noise <laughs> yeah, like, I, I love the fact that my little sedan is like silent like i i yeah. mean it, it don't hear anything it's great i personally enjoy that <laughs> i used to forget it on though when i first got it because i had a loud truck before it so <laughs> same <laughs> yeah <laughs> i used to i would get out of the car and then and then hear it and i'd be like, oh shoot <laughs> yep no I, I well mine at least beeps at me when i close the door with the keys in it and i'm like oh yeah <laughs> now mine's right in between it um silent but uh not very helpful <laughs> yeah well you got a loud car now your what? brakes are screeching oh yeah I just just asked me two days ago i need new brake pads they just started squealing i could hear them coming down the block yeah it's <laughs> just one of them <laughs> but you know probably need them all so <laughs> yeah um yeah well uh you got anything else man you know what i think i'm pretty much tapped out i probably ought to yeah, it was a good talk, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah it. It, was awesome. it was really fun talking to you, though. I, I enjoyed it. I just looked up at what the time was. And I was like, man, it's been, we've been talking for a while. That's awesome. That's, that's, yeah. time flies. It's good, man. It's, uh, when it goes good, it goes good, you know? I, I would love to have you on again sometime. For sure. I, thanks for checking out this episode of the Conversation for Our Generation. If you enjoyed it, definitely go and subscribe, conversationforgeneration.com slash podcast or at Conovargen on Twitter, Facebook.com slash Conversation for Our Generation. Lots of stuff happening there, especially on Twitter. It's been blowing up the last couple of days. And for those of you who have been following me, you may have noticed. But if not, definitely check that out. And go to ConversationForOurGeneration.com slash podcast. Find everywhere that you can subscribe to the podcast. Do that. Leave a good rating. Leave a review. That stuff really helps. I know that I've been getting a lot more less listens recently. So definitely seems like it's been growing. But definitely share that get it out there so more and more people can join the conversation for our generation and go and check out 
the winner gets nothing podcast at WGN podcast on Twitter and find them on. I know they're on Apple. I'm sure they're on other platforms as well. Definitely go and check them out and, uh, and follow their podcast as well. Cause I think that there's some definitely some interesting conversations there and they have a lot of fun for sure. So thank you for listening to this episode of the conversation for our generation. Let's get the dialogue going. I'll talk to you next time. Thank you.